Okay, so we are going to do First uh, Peter chapter five, verses one through four, uh, for Thursdays uh, at noon. So we're going to do that. Uh, so First Peter chapter five, uh, verses one through four. We'll read it. We'll pray, and then we'll start. Uh, verses one through four says this. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So we'll pray, and then it will start. Father, we love you so much. Um, God, we thank you for your word um, to pastors. Um, God, help us to understand um, as uh, pastors and as people of the church how to um, understand the pastoral call. Help pastors to be faithful to your word. Um, Help us to shepherd as the Lord Jesus shepherds us. Um, Help us to be comforted by your word and to be um, edified by it. In your sins, let me pray. Amen. Alright, so um, the first thing I want to start off with is the pastoral call. So there's a, there's a dead Puritan, uh, he's dead because he's a Puritan, so he's old, uh, named Richard Baxter. And he talks a lot about the, the pastoral call um, as comparing it to how the men of old were called, so as the prophets were kind of called, and how the disciples were called by Christ himself, and um, Paul's unique calling uh, by meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus and all these things, and how uh, pastors uh, currently say, well, those are, um, we're not called like that. It's different, which that is very true. It's very unique. Um, I've never met Jesus on the road, and I probably won't ever until he comes back. Um, so the pastoral call is much different than the call that uh, the men of old received of the first century or of the Old Testament. Um, but Richard Baxter, um, thinking that, he says this uh, very shortly. Um, Though our call is not so immediate or extraordinary, it is of the same spirit. So the idea that the pastoral call, the call to minister the word, to be a shepherd of the word, of the flock of God, to preach the gospel, uh, to be a pastor, to be an elder, um, it may not be as glamorous or excitable as meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus or being a prophet um, to Israel, but it's the same spirit, the same God, the same um, ultimate design of the Lord. Um, so Peter has taken us through, um, in the book of 1 Peter, he's addressed multiple people. Um, he's, a, he's addressed the church as a whole in chapter 1 where he starts off. Uh, he starts off with uh, workers or slaves, as he calls them, um, in that current time in chapter 2. Chapter 3, he addresses wives and husbands. Then he says, finally, all of you. So he goes back to the general public. And now in chapter 5... Peter saves the last chunk for the elder or for the pastor. Um, There's a book called Biblical Eldership that uses the word um, elder and shepherd and pastor, which are shown in the Bible to be the same word. So if I say the word elder or shepherd or pastor, it's the same thing. So there's no distinction. There's no hierarchy. It's the same word. So that's the clarification. Uh, So the call to being a pastor is a weighty one. Uh, The pastor is called to give the people of God the word of God for the glory of God. That's our role as a pastor. And here, uh, Peter's going to exhort us and tell us what it looks like and how to do that. Uh, the pastoral call is great, and it's glorious, and it's mighty. We weep with those who weep. We feel the burden of our people. Uh, we minister the word to them. We 
are available 24-7. We help them. We encourage them. We rejoice with them. We push them to be more like Christ. And Peter has some instruction for us. And I really have it in two categories, uh, two main points. And the, and the first point has points under it. But the main thing is this. Peter's going to tell pastors how to shepherd and how they are shepherded. So shepherding for the pastor, so how you shepherd your people, and then how Jesus shepherds you. So this is specifically for the pastor. So shepherding and shepherded is the name of uh, the title I got today, uh, which kind of helps understand where I'm going. Oh, so first we're going to see how the pastor is to shepherd. So this is about shepherding. So how the pastor is to act, to think, to show himself. This is what Peter has for us. Uh, so in verse 1, Peter starts off this way. So... I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So we've got to break down a couple things uh, with Peter's introduction of who he is and why he's saying these things. So Peter identifies himself um, not as the head of the church. So he does not say, I am the elder, I am the papacy, if you want to call it that. Uh, Peter says, I'm a fellow elder with you. So there's no hierarchy in Peter's mind. He understands how the elder, how the pastor role works. There's no lead elder of the church. There's co-elders. Uh, so he identifies himself with the church in Asia Minor. Um, he also says that he is a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So this particular pastor, Peter, this elder, Peter, um, he has specifically seen Jesus suffer. He watched him live and be beaten and be crucified and risen he saw him ascend, so he particularly saw the actual witness of Christ, um, which is interesting. And what's really neat is this word, uh, witness, is uh, the, where we get the English word martyr. So the Greek word is martis or martyr, but for our English we call it martyr. And we think of those who are martyred, who are killed for the faith. So Peter is a martyr of Christ. He's a witness to Christ, to his sufferings. And what he's seen. And Peter actually would be killed um, about 10 years after his letter was written. Point is, uh, Peter has the authority to say, I know Christ. I've been appointed by him. I've seen him suffer. So all this news about suffering and glory coming, Peter can see it. And he saw it. So he gets it. So this is from a man who experienced it, who is in the word, who has seen it, who understands. And what's really cool is this. Is Peter is uniquely given the role to see Jesus suffer and to be called by him. But then look at verse 1. So he, he goes from particular to him a broad stance. So a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So what's really beautiful about what Peter's saying is he is one of the few men to see Jesus rise and be slain. Yet he's partaking the same glory that we get. The exact same thing. So he identifies with the elders, he identifies with us now in the 21st century as our fellow partaker of the glory that's going to be revealed. That's good news for pastors, for us, that we are fellow witnesses in a different way, but in the same way as Peter was, that we partake of beautiful glory just as Peter has and as Peter is currently. And this is the mystery of the gospel, that by turning from our sin and trusting in Christ, we die to self and we arisen with Christ. Um, this is what a lot of theologians call um, our union with Christ. So by faith, we are united to Jesus and all that he did. Um, this is the hope of every believer that there is glory coming, that there is heaven exists, that it is real, that it's perfect, and that's where we're going. 
and we are united to Jesus, his perfect life of obedience, and our death is counted as his death, our life is counted as his life, his resurrection is counted to us, we get his glory that he earned. And that's what Peter's talking about, that's the glory that we partake in. And by faith, we unite to him in that. So Peter, like us, not because of who he is, but because of what Christ has done, we're united with him in the same glory that Jesus partook in. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful that Peter starts off there. There's no supremacy of Peter. It's we're united with Peter in the same way he's united to Christ. The same way. So we suffer on earth in this world that we might be fitted for glory. Romans eight seventeen says, And if we are children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So the good news is that as we suffer, as pastors labor and strive, there's glory coming. There's rest coming. There's hope coming. There's rest, eternal rest coming. So Jesus suffered now and he's glorified just as we suffer now and we'll be glorified. I want to read one more verse and then we'll go to the next point. Second Timothy chapter 2 verses 11 through 13. This is one of my favorite sections that I think of the Bible. And it says this, the saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So all of that is union with Christ. He died, we died with him. He was raised, we are raised with him. We, we will reign with him. Our hope as a pastor is not in the world, but in the future to come, in the glory, in the hope and the eternity we get soon. Um, so, Pastor, God loves you. He treats you as he treats Christ. He seeks to make you more like Christ, which, which is why you're being disciplined now, which is why you're laboring. His desire for you is a fatherly care, not an angry judge, because he wants to be more like his son. So as we pastor, as we strive, as we labor over our people, um, know that God loves you. Jesus loves you. You're united to him by faith. So love your people to glory. Love them till then, because they're going to get there with you. So love them till then. So now in verse 2, here, so here's Peter. So that's Peter starting, and here's where he goes. So there's a colon, so it, it's almost like therefore. So because that's true, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So since the above is true, now we're going to shepherd the flock of God. So shepherds here refers to the idea that you're called to tend, to care for, to lead, to feed, uh, to rule over your people. Um, shepherds do that. They lead their sheep, they care for them, they guide them. I mean, they do all the simple things that we think, well, yeah, that's, of course you would do that. That's what shepherds are supposed to do. That's what Peter's trying to say. Shepherd them, instruct them, walk them, baby them in a sense. Not that they're children, but they need to be helped. They need to be led and walked and carried. How sweet of an image of pastoral ministry is shepherding. It's you tend to them. You, you care for their soul. You pick them up out of the mud. You wipe them off and you send them back out. And what's really interesting about this text is it's almost, it almost doesn't make any sense. It almost seems like there's two truths in one, which is really cool about this. It says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So note that Peter calls your people, pastor, he calls your people the flock of God. They're not yours. You don't own them. They're not your flock. Yes, they are your flock. But in this sense, Peter's saying ultimately they're of God's. The people you pastor, the people you're over, the people that God's entrusted to you, um, he owns them, he bought them, he saved them, he called them, they are his. Uh, he kind of doubly owns them, he created them and bought them back. So Jesus owns the flock, they're the flock of God, they are not yours. And they happen to be among you. So God has placed them among you, it says that the flock of God among you. So no, there's this dual ownership of ultimately God owns them, but you, are, you have them among you. Yeah, that's good. 
So this is good to know, and it's a warning. It's good and bad. It's good and fearful. It should be worship and worry in, in a good sense. Worrying in the sense that we don't mess with them. We don't harass them. We don't harm them. We don't mock them. We don't ill-treat them or abuse them or support, speak poorly of them because they are God's. And he owns them. If we want to know how much he cares for them, see the cross. He took infinite wrath for them, so he cares for them. So we mustn't um, mock them or be cruel to them. We must be tender with them and be patient to the best we can. This is joy in the sense that Jesus loves them better than we ever could. We're going to fail with our people. We're going to be slow with them. We're going to be impatient. We're going to give them wrong advice. We're going to say something silly. We're going to mess it up. Jesus loves them better than we ever could. He cares for them more than we ever will. And he is stronger than we ever could be. He is the best shepherd to their souls. So, that's a good truth. Don't don't ruin them because God has them. He will keep them. But also know that God will keep them when you cannot. When you you poorly handle them or mess up, God will keep them. So, for for the pastor, you need to remember that they are the flock of God among us. They are God's flock but they've been given to us. Uh, Verse 2 again, he says, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. So look after them diligently, tend to them as the precious sheep of Christ. If he died for them, we should care for them as well. If if God saw fit to die for sinners, we should tend to them. There's a huge weight there that God has put on us. Uh, Not under compulsion, not begrudgingly, like kicking your feet, dragging your feet across the the floor, like I have to shepherd this man again, I have to deal with him, this problem again, and I'm guilty of thinking those things. But we're called to not do it begrudgingly, but to do it not under compulsion, but willingly. And what's great is that this is how the pastoral ministry starts. The call to ministry is the exact same way you're supposed to act in it. First uh, Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, this is what Paul says in ministry. The saying is trustworthy. So again, this is the true thing. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, elder, he desires a noble task. So the call to ministry is a desire. It's a willing servanthood, the same thing that you entered in, the same way you keep. you got to be willing to do it. There's no begrudging, I guess I'll be a pastor. So the same way you act in it is the same way you act through it. The exact same way. There's no difference. It's simple, but it's hard. The same thing. We're called to be faithful in it. Uh, the word aspire in 1 Timothy 3 is the same word for like reaching for or striving for. So like you're so close to grabbing it, you're hoping to grab that thing, that goal in front of you, that prize in front of you. Strive for it. So when you lead, strive for your people's good. Hope for their good. Hope for their conforming to Christ. Uh, spur them on well. Labor over them in, in, a, in a willing way, not begrudgingly. Uh, this is the, the desire to preach, to tend to them, to weep with them, to serve them. And again, in verse 2, here's the reason why, as God would have you. So this is the God-centered reason, because God commands you to do these things as He does it. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. I think this is where it gets a little, gets a little deep here. Um, in Isaiah 56, um, God speaks about um, His people Israel. He has rulers over them uh, who are doing a horrible job. Um, God's angry, and He pronounces judgment upon them. And here's how he describes how they act. So it's Isaiah 56, verses 10 and 11. Here's how he says, this is what, this is what evil, sinful uh, rulers do over God's people. So Israel, his. Israel's watchmen are blind. 
They're all without knowledge. They're all silent dogs. They cannot bark, dreaming, lying down. They love to slumber. The dogs have a mighty appetite. They never have enough, but they are shepherds who have no understanding. They've all turned to their own way, each to his own gain, one and all. Now God calls them dogs, not as like a slang term like, yo, he's my dog, but as a sense, and these are lonely, these are scum. These are dogs that just, like in first century, they eat just garbage. They smell, they reek, they, they aren't good for anything. So God denounces these men as dogs. And what do they do? So they lie down, they slept, they had a mighty appetite, they never have enough, they eat to their own game. Pastors exist not for themselves, but for the flock. Pastors who sit to be gained, to attract things, to have things, to be looked at and adored. God would call you a dog. You're not, you're not a shepherd, you're a dog. It's low. God doesn't want that. He wants men who serve to make much of the people in Christ, not much of themselves. When it calls it a shameful game, I think Peter's probably main intention, a lot of people would agree, is typically like a monetary gain. I think we typically think of monetary means or even just uplifting. I think that's good. Um, Jesus denounced those things um, in Matthew 6. In Matthew 23, he talked about the Pharisees who existed to be seen by men. They would pray and make a big announcement when they pray. They would seek to be served and have the best seat in the house and love the praise of men more than the praise of God. But I think, I think it's not just money. I think you argue other things as well. Um, human accolades, human praise, human enjoyment, human applause, human anything. Um, Paul Washer gives this illustration that when you hear it, it almost is, it's almost insulting, uh, which makes sense because Paul Washer is, is that way, in a good way, uh, to our souls. But here's what he says. Um, Would God plant the most beautiful flower for all men to see so we could write books about it and adore it and look at it, or would God plant the, pl- the most beautiful flower no one could see but him? My first thought is, well, he would probably want us to see it, like it is beautiful. But Paul Washer's point is that flower gets recognition and beauty, not because we see, but because God sees it and says that's good. So the pastor exists in the same way, not to be seen by people, but to be seen by God. Some of the most faithful men, we don't even know who they are, but God sees them and looks and says, that's good, that's glorious, that's beautiful. So the pastor has to understand that we exist not to be seen, not to be written about, but to be adored by God. There's a text in Isaiah 66 that makes you tremble in a good way because it says the word as well. Uh, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? What is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So God the earth is his footstool, but he looks. He takes particular notice. He looks at, he double takes in a sense, at the men who are faithful at his word, who are humble, and who love the gospel. So pastors, we, we need to strive to be men who love the Lord looking on us and not the people looking on us. As hard as it is, never shameful gain, but as God would have you, eagerly serving Oftentimes, we're not recognized. We need to know that's okay. That's good. We should be known in heaven. We should be feared. And by the pits of hell, as Neil McClendon would say, people should know about us in heaven. And to be fearful us in hell, as they did of Paul and the book of Acts. 
So when God sees and looks at us, that should be enough. So let's strive to be known by God and not for shameful gain or passing pleasure to the world. And for those who are considered dogs, Peter in verse 3 says they exercise oversight. Here's what he says. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So not being ruthless, not being abusive in power over your charge. Uh, Peter really wants us to know uh, the reality that they are God's people, but we are over them. And it, I mean, it's back-to-back verses. They are God's, but we are over them. Uh, Jesus addresses the exact same question, the same dilemma. So the disciples talk to him and ask him, um, who's, who's going to sit your right hand and left, Jesus? How's this going to work? And Jesus says this in Matthew 20, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority. So in, in a worldly sense, when we think of authority, um, oftentimes we think of bad authority. We think of men who um, use their position to dictate and get what they want and they sit up high while people serve and come to their need. Um, we think of men like Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple who passed away. Uh, there are countless stories of how just horrible he was. He would fire people on the spot with no warning. He would call meetings and kick everyone out because he was angry. He just used his power in, a, in an abusive way. We think of men like Harvey Weinstein in the film industry. He used his power to sexually abuse women to get what they wanted. He would threaten their career if they didn't do what he said. So men in power, we, we often get scared and think, man, I don't want to, I don't think we should be in power. Power's not good. We should give it to the people. People should have power. There should be one man. There should be elders. There should be the church. But Peter here says, elders aren't domineering over those in your authority. They aren't, they aren't dictators. They aren't ruthless. They are caring in charge. They are examples to the flock, Peter says. So be an example, not as the one who shouts, but as the one who serves. So pastors are called to go low, to serve, to go the feet, to, Charles Spurgeon says, to be the doorman of the people. So to serve, to go low, if they walk on you, you exist for their glory and for their good to see Christ. You exist for them. In that same chapter, Jesus says in Matthew 20, 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus came as Lord of all, but he did not lord it over all. He just didn't. He served. He came to die. He suffered and saved for men. Uh, though he commands every molecule, he didn't come to command people. He came to give. Yes, he did command, but he came to give and to die. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 9 talks about Paul and Sylvanus and Timothy come to the church of Thessalonica. And so think about Paul, who they are. Think about Timothy and Sylvanus. They are men appointed by God, especially Paul. And men who run under Paul, who are his, his, his men, think about the, the, the position of power they have as elders of the church, of the early church. And Paul says this about why they came. It was not because we, have, we do not have that right, but to give you in a, ourselves an example to him. So Paul says we didn't come because, we didn't serve because we, we don't have the right. We serve because we, we want to show an example. We could have been served by you guys, but we came to serve you as an example. So even Paul did the same thing. I think the question needs to be asked. It says, be a good example. An example of what? I think that's easy We need to understand. It's not just being a good moral man or a nice Christian or a good father or a good son. Though those things are fruits of this, but the example we're called to be, the pastor is called to be, is to be the example of Christ to his people. And that's a weighty task. That's why the pastoral ministry is a call to suffer and to labor 
It is not just to be a nice person, though that is involved in it. You're called to reflect Christ. You are Christ to your people. You demonstrate what Jesus is like and how he thought, how he acted, how he reacted, how he worked, how he showed his emotions. So when we walk in and our people see us, do they see Christ? Yes, they're going to see a sinful man. They're going to see a man who needs the gospel, but they see Christ through you. So we must display him and be an example to our flock. So pastor, we need to serve, we need to slave for people, to labor for them, to agonize, to wash the feet of our people in hopes that they might just get one, just a small glimpse of what Jesus was like, just one sliver. That's why we do it, that they'll see, man, Jesus was good. He was a good shepherd to his people. That's why we do it. So we see that the charge for pastors and how they should shepherd, how they're shepherding, and how this task is glorious and great and heavy, but now we're going to see ultimately how the people of God are shepherded and how the pastor is shepherded as well. So we need to be shepherded too. Pastors need a shepherd. We need a pastor. We need someone to shepherd our souls too. So all this is laid upon us. And if you look at verse 4, I can almost just, and this, is, this isn't in the text, this is a conjecture, but I can almost picture Peter taking just a big breath and writing the next big word like a smile. Uh, so after all these commands to shepherd, to be an example um, to do it willingly, not laboriously and, uh, and angrily, but to do it as an example. Peter says in verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown. Go ahead and just picture this big, and when he appears, the shepherd's coming. Notice too, this is Peter's second mention of the word glory. So first verse 1, now verse 4. So there's this, this bookmark of glory in the beginning, glory end, Commands in the middle. So Peter reminds you of the glory before you shepherd, and while you're shepherding, there's glory coming. So this is for us to hope for, to look to. These are like, kind of like bookends. Um, he's pleading us to remember there's glory coming, there's reward coming. You do not labor in vain. Your pastoring is not meaningless. It's not empty. It is for the glory coming. It's promise, and it's good, so we strive and labor till then. So verse 4, Peter calls Jesus the chief shepherd. So we know it's chief shepherd because Jesus himself calls himself in John 10 the good shepherd, which is most likely a look back to Psalm 23 as the Lord, as our shepherd. So Jesus called himself the good shepherd. Peter here calls him the chief shepherd, um, same, same person. Jesus is the shepherd of our souls. He's the shepherd of all shepherds. He is good to us. Whether the shepherd is good or bad, Jesus is the shepherd of them. He is the Lord of them. And as a pastor, Jesus is tending you now. He's caring for your soul now. He is bearing your burdens now, as he did in Calvary on the cross. He is disciplining you now. He's rescuing you now. He is loving and leading you even currently. And soon, he will come rescue us from the muck and mire of the world and the sin of the world and take us to glory. Soon he's coming. That's Peter's command. He's, the shepherd's coming. He's good and he's coming. This chief shepherd, the shepherd of all, he is coming. But until then, we trust our people to the Good Shepherd, and we trust our souls to Him as well. So what will we charge our people to do? We do the same. We look to Christ who will never leave us or forsake us. The love of our souls is coming quickly. So we look to this. We look to the Good Shepherd, the Chief Shepherd, and Peter says this in verse 4, and you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So as Jesus ministers to us, and we minister to His people, all shepherds, all pastors, all elders, they will receive this unfading crown of glory. 
So what's beautiful is even the work that we don't see happening, maybe the progress we wish we would see we're not seeing, um, we're going to be rewarded for our commitment to Christ, for our shepherding to our people. Jesus comes himself as our greatest treasure and gives us more treasure to boot. <laughs> That's a good shepherd. He's good. He gives us a reward just for being faithful to him. Christ in his heaven, that's what he gives us. Romans 8.18 says this, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. It's not even the same sport. Not in the same ballpark, same universe. Not even the same. It's not even worth comparing, Paul says. And it's good news because the world sees ministry as outdated, monotonous, unnecessary, we don't need a pastor. I'm very spiritual. We, we don't need those things. We don't need someone telling me what to do. I know how to get to God in my own way. And what's good is we see this unfading crown of glory. When it seems like things are fading here and don't seem good or, or the praise of men just isn't, it stinks. It just goes away because it's not good. We get an unfading, it's the same language in First Peter chapter 1, an unfading crown of glory for our weary souls. So pastor, remain faithful. Don't be fearful of the wolves in the in congregation or the strife of the devil who seeks to split. Our shepherd will strike him down. He will deal justly with evil ones. He will care for his sheep. He will handle the evil done. We commit ourselves to him and trust that he's coming. So pastors are sinners. We are given a noble task, but we're weak. We can't do it on our own. We need someone to shepherd us. We need the pastor of our souls, the shepherd of our souls to take care of us. We need to be led and serve. We need a great helper. We need to depend on somebody. We need someone who is not just sovereign and in control, but who is also good in his, in his authority. We need someone who can sustain us, who will give himself, who will make well for us, who will rescue us. We need all these things. And that is only found in the chief shepherd. Jesus is the God-man who steps into our suffering as he suffered for us. Jesus wept. He was wounded. He was beaten, betrayed, shamed, and scorned, and killed. Our shepherd steps into our suffering. He, ident he identifies with us. As Peter identified with us, Jesus identified with us even greater in our sin, in our shame, so we would identify with him. He says, you're with me in his inheritance. We need someone to serve us when our souls are weak. Jesus is our suffering servant who came and serves us even now. Every minute, every breath, every word, every thought, every good deed, is Jesus strengthening us by His grace. Every minute, He's serving us. He came not to be served, but to serve. He served us even now. And He's serving our people better than we ever could. So He's healing us, He's serving us, and caring for us. We need someone in authority not to abuse us, but to gently lead us. Jesus is the Lord of all, who did not come to lord over us. He led by example. He didn't domineer or push into us. He came to lord over us by dying for us. He comes to lead us, not to drag us. He entreats us daily to follow him. By a sweet call, we come. As we instruct our people to follow Jesus, Jesus is the same. He says, follow me, I'll make you fish to men. Follow me, I'll give you rest. Follow me, I'll take care of you. Um, he sweetly calls us even now. And lastly, we need, we need a shepherd. Jesus is our shepherd who tends to us. Who leads us to still waters, to water to drink from his fountain. He gives us bread from his feast. He gives us the unfading crown of glory. He's good, and he shepherds our souls that he earned on our behalf. So, Pastor, your shepherd is coming soon, and he's good.
Let's pray. Father, we love you. Um, Jesus, you are our shepherd. We thank you for shepherding our souls, uh, for caring for us, for redeeming us, for rescuing us, for tending to us now, for serving our people, for serving us. Jesus, you are good. You are worthy to be praised. Help us to shepherd our people well. Help us to be an example of you to them. That you be magnified, that you would look good, that you would look beautiful as you truly are. Give us strength, give us hope, give us the hope of glory coming as we shepherd now. In your name we pray. Amen.